I mean, it's a product productivity loss, and it's really our job to make users as productive as possible and making sure that they can implement the feature in the most op uh, optimized fashion. So as soon as you need to, as soon as you you must run something on the command line, for instance, for it to work, we consider that 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 is really a problem because. For instance, you may be more comfortable with the ID and the, the UI and the assistance that goes with it. Uh, so that's one. And two, it's also very important that you, you'll be able to choose uh, the tools that you want to use. So it's not like uh, if you use IntelliJ ID, then it, it will be okay to, it will be absolutely wonderful too. You're listening to the Vardin Insider Podcast, a show aiming to uncover the processes, mental models, and tools that go into building mission-critical enterprise business applications. We interview business and technical stakeholders involved in the enterprise application development lifecycle and share the lessons learned from building business applications that run the global economy. In this episode, we have Stefan Nicole, who is a staff software engineer at VMware, previously Pivotal.io, working on Spring Boot and leading the evolution of Start.Spring.io, which is a service that helps millions of developers start their business applications. Stefan has over 20 years of experience in software engineering with a strong focus on API development on the JVM, and he's a prominent speaker in the open source space and everything related to Spring. Stefan and I discuss the Spring ecosystem, that is Spring Framework, Spring Boot, and Spring Cloud, how the Spring team decides on its product roadmap and its API design process, Spring's role in guiding enterprises and responding to their business needs as companies globally undergo digital transformation, and more. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, Stefan, let's do this. Spring is, is a keyword or technology that gets dropped every time I you know, sit with my clients. But Spring has a lot of things underneath it. Why don't we dissect Spring? What is, what is Spring and platform? And let's just go from there. Yeah, so we, usually we call that the, the, the Spring ecosystem. So it's, it started with the Spring framework 15 years ago as a way to help you build applications without uh, reinventing the wheel, uh, avoiding the boilerplate with some common patterns like templates and all kinds of utilities you can, you can use to be more productive. And that was really the beginning. And as the low level framework, you would like take decisions, how you would architect the various bits and pieces and how you would compose that together into an application. And um, as the framework became like more popular and with more users, started to have more modules around the core framework. So, uh, Spring Data is one of them to help you access relation, relational and non-relational databases with a repository abstraction. So same thing as the core framework, but more tailored to data access where you would get a, some kind of common features that would be provided to you automatically. And the, the framework would give you extra features like uh, the ability to manage transactions to everything that's like all the boilerplate again. So if you want to find something by ID, if you want to find something by name, you don't have to write queries for that. So we can infer that from the method signature and whatnot. 
then more than that, Spring integration for everything that's uh, enterprise integration patterns. Uh, Spring security, obviously, is very popular to uh, secure web applications. And more and more like projects were added to the portfolio along the years. And six years ago, there was something that we really like wanted to improve even more the, the developer experience. And that, that's where Spring Boot is born. So Spring Boot is now the, the entry point of the ecosystem, if you will. What it, that, what it adds on top of the core framework is a representation of an application. So some kind of opinions about how to build a, an application with Spring. So rather than you using the core framework, and as I, I was, was mentioning, there are various ways you could build an application. There's not a single, uh, single one way to do it. But if you do not care, if you just want to get the best practices, uh, yeah. then Spring Boot is actually adding that, uh, uh, adding the notion of what's the environment, how you get configuration properties, yeah. uh, the life cycle of an application, mm -hmm. and then tons of features like application monitoring, uh, application administration, and stuff like that. Okay, so it sounds like with Spring Boot uh, around 2014, it's an opinionated way for Spring team to say, hey, if you guys are building a business application, here you go, take this and it has all the best practices for security data, everything figured out for you so that you don't have to write the boilerplate and you just take that up and then start focusing on your business logics and stuff. Yeah, so it, it goes, uh, it, it goes a, the, a bit deeper uh, with the concept of uh, auto-configuration where mm -hmm. let's say like 10 years ago, a pattern that was super popular is um, using Spring with Hibernate and Hibernate, mm -hmm. access, access a database, right? That was the number one use case. It still yep. is a very popular use case, but yeah. you, you need to, if you don't care how to bootstrap your G, GPA container, you just want to put your entities in one package and your repository somewhere, and you just want the default behavior. Um, before Spring Boot, you still had to understand how Hibernate has to be configured. You need to configure Hibernate and uh, basically provide a persistence unit for your uh, JP entities. Um, yep. There is a way to default from that, and that's what we've done. And it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it sounds like you just really helped focusing on increasing developer productivity, you know, by not having them write the boilerplate code, which is great. And, and then so the start.spring.io, the starter pack is, is also a part of, it's a started with Spring Boot, I guess. It's yeah, it's uh, it's it's going a bit a bit further than that. So if, uh, what Spring Boot does stops at the boundaries of what what you would write as business logic and make sure you package that in an application, get a, an executable unit for your application. Mm -hmm. but it's it's more than that on the JVM, right? You you have your build system, how you structure your project. Typically, on the build system, something very important is dependency management, where you want to make sure that. You're using compatible versions of third-party libraries, and mm -hmm. more and more libraries also have this concept of modules, where you have like more than one jar file for a library. So you need to make sure that you use consistent version. Mm -hmm. And in the past, without the proper dependency management, it was a nightmare because you hard code versions all over the place, and yeah. then you get like no such method error because error. you mm -hmm. screw up something. So getting that is very important. And start of Spring.io. Is basically giving you this, so it, it's it's giving you a package structure for a new application, mm. where all you need to do is um, start coding. Yeah, 
That makes sense because we have a start at Vadin.com, which is all about that. He's the starting structure to start, you know, writing your business logic. Wonderful. So with, uh, you know, Spring has been a leader in uh, app transformation, you know, just the whole digital transformation initiative across enterprises, legacy systems, the move to the cloud. So what does the Spring Cloud offer on top of the Spring ecosystem? So uh, Spring Cloud is, a, is an ecosystem that, that's built on top of Spring Boot to offer extra components, additional components, if you have a distributed architecture, so if you're work, working with cloud-native applications and there's some pattern that you may want to use. Um, mm -hmm. One of them is service discovery, for instance, or distributed config, mm -hmm. or you may, you may want to use like... Uh, uh, fallback execution in case of when you your service goes down. So there are a number of of implementations that provides you that, and Spring Cloud is giving you those components with the 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 API that you're used to if you're a Spring developer. So there is this this consistency in the API that's very important for us. Yeah. And there is also a number of things of related to infrastructure as a service. Like if you want to deploy your app on Cloud Foundry, uh, Google Cloud Platform, AWS, Alibaba, Azure, you don't, you don't have to use Spring Cloud per se because if you have a Spring Boot application, you can deploy those, those applications to, to those vendors without actually using those extra features. Mm -hmm. But if you need some of the features that the, the, the IS vendor provides, uh, mm -hmm. Spring Cloud will Spring provide Cloud them. Okay. Wonderful. So since uh, Spring, uh, you know, Spring is Java, and uh, this was a question that came from one of the community members. What are what are what are what Spring's plan or VMware or Pivotal's plan to attract Java developers to the platform when university might be training, you know, their curriculum in Python, and there are you know tons of languages out there. Yeah. So the the JVM is actually striving still it's a very very nice piece of engineering and uh, it's still uh, very attractive there's also recently uh, something around native support with gravvm which brings quite a lot of users uh, to the platform native actually, support with what stefan native support with gravvm so gravvm is a way for you to compile your java application mm -hmm. uh, in Sessions that you, you can run it natively, and yeah. so you get the the performance boost of startup time and the memory consumption that's that's lower. Definitely interesting if you have like serverless use cases. So the the, the JVM is really a, a super nice piece of engineering, and it's it's not only about Java. Really, uh, there is other languages like uh, Scala and Kotlin. Kotlin in, in the past two years has been like very popular and. Uh, there is native support in in Springland for for Kotlin. So mm -hmm. if you are a Kotlin developer, you will feel at home using Spring. Yeah, pretty much all JVM languages. Nice. And you know, you mentioned in the beginning the focus is uh, developer experience and developer productivity, which is same for uh, here at Vadin too as a framework vendor. What are what are the systems uh, in place do you guys have to test developer experience and continuously you know keep improving on it? So I, I would say, and it's going to be uh, pr pretty much the same introduction for more, more than one question around that, is the community is, is really king uh, in, in our ecosystem. The community is giving us so much in terms of, of feedback, of new ideas, helping us like improve what we have. Mm -hmm. But something that we've been really f been focusing on is partnership. 
with other teams within the application development space and typically uh, IDEs. So we have a very close relationship with Eclipse, uh, the Eclipse, the IntelliJ ID and VS Code. And we also have like some members of the NetBeans community working with us. So what, what we want to do when you work with Spring is to avoid the context switch mm-hmm, as much exactly. as you can. So stay in one tool and, and make sure you can be productive without having to switch to a different tool. So that's why we've built some configuration assistance for every, everything that's related to configuration in Spring Boot. Uh, there is this concept where you, you can provide configuration keys to customize the way the auto configuration works. You'll get the assistance directly in the ID with description of those keys, what the default values are and uh, mm-hmm. additional assistance. And StarlingSpring.io is also uh, in all those four IDs, you have a native support in them. Yeah. So rather than going to the website, add the dependencies that you want, get a zip, unzip uh, somewhere, and then ask your ID, I need a new project in that directory, please. You can actually create the project directly from from the ID. You need to switch. I would love for you to dissect, uh, uncover the business uh, impact of context switching, you know, the cost associated with it, because business stakeholders often don't get what context switching is at the engineering level. Yeah, so, you know, what are the what are the costs associated with context switching? So it's it's I mean it's a product productivity loss, and it's really our job to make users as productive as possible and mm-hmm. making sure that they can implement a feature in the most op- uh, optimized fashion. So as soon as you need to, as soon as you you must run something on the command line, for instance, for it to work, we consider that 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 is really a problem because. For instance, you may be more comfortable with the ID and the, the, the UI and the assistance that goes with it. Uh, so that's one. And two, it's also very important that you, you'll be able to choose uh, the tools that you want to use. So it's not like uh, if you use IntelliJ ID, then it, it will be okay to, it will be absolutely wonderful to build your Spring application. But if you choose a different ID, then you'll be in your own and uh, you'll get no assistance. So we really focus on making sure that uh, those tools um, can help you whatever whatever you choose. Yeah. No, it's because it's context switching is huge. And that's what the argument, or not argument, but the commerce discussion that I come across when folks say, yeah, we use Angular. And then and then I'm like, yeah, you're Java, you have Java developers. You are asking them to learn JavaScript, the front end stuff. And then you are having them you know, write your client server communication API. And this is for folks who are, you know, new to Valdent. But thank you for uh, uncovering the business importance of, uh, you know, not letting your developers have to context switch. Now, if we look at Spring's role as an educator, uh, you know, of businesses, uh, how do you guys make decisions for your roadmap? It is more, is it more to respond to the needs of uh, your enterprise customers or, or the community, which they might be using it for, you know, God knows what are the applications. So Spring is very open source centric and mostly open source centric, I should say. Everything that we get, we get it in the open. So if we, we are talking about a new feature or making something a priority, uh, this, this happens in the open 100%. So there is no private customer specific issue tracker, for instance, we don't have that. So you're, you're a user of the community. And what I like, and I'm, I'm still amazed, uh, I've been on the team for six years and I'm still amazed every day to see 
the, the feedback, the quality of the feedback that we get and how it helps us improve and also the, the contributions that we get. Yeah. If you make sure that your project is, has the right uh, tools and the right introduction so that mm-hmm. newcomers can find what they need what to they get need. started, yeah. then you'll get wonderful contributions. So that's, it's been a great journey. Mm-hmm. So with, uh, at, the, at the organizational level, we have you know, Pivotal, Spring, VMware. Now VMware acquired Pivotal again, and I think there's a rebranding named Tanzu happening. Uh, yep. Could you help us uh, as an outsider, help us understand what's going on internally with this acquisition plays and how does it affect the open source community of Spring? So yeah, uh, Pivotal was acquired by VMware and now there's a new, there's a new initiative called Tanzu, mm-hmm. which will encompass the build, run and manage of your application. So basically trying to provide a, a consistent solution for the old spectrum. Mm-hmm. And uh, more specifically, running your apps on the, on the Kubernetes platform on any cloud, so giving you a maximum of options, mm-hmm. and uh, making sure that Spring is a first-class citizen in that environment. So that's what we are currently uh, working on. So one of the other acquisition of VMware is Wavefront, which is an observ- observability platform, platform mm-hmm. SaaS-based, and uh, it's it's the observability observability platform of Tanzu and. Mm. In the recent past, we've been working uh, with that team to build a dedicated Spring Boot starter for that, mm-hmm. where you add the starter to any app and uh, it will auto-negotiate a freemium account for you. Mm-hmm. And we'll start emit metrics and then you can connect to a dashboard and see those metrics and, and build, build custom dashboards or reuse dashboards that have been created for you. So mm-hmm. we are re- really, Improving the, the landscape here, uh, not only on, on the application itself, but really encompass the run and manage, which, which is what people have started, by the way. Yeah. This is what we had with Cloud Foundry and, and PCF, yep. but we are moving that to a much larger scale uh, with mm-hmm. VMware. And VMware is also very much interested into continuing the, the open source journey, and they want to be a good steward for the community. Mm-hmm. So uh, Spring is going to its business as usual for us. It's source, like yeah. continuing with the open source community or working with working in the open. Yeah, wonderful. So um, it's, it's Spring, you know, had a huge focus on reactive support for a couple of years. Uh, do you have any guesstimates on you know what's the proportion of Spring users who do reactive app development these days versus you know the other way around? So we've seen a really nice trend like users picking up and, and starting using uh, Reactive. There's been, in the recent past, some initiative around relational database access because that, that was the number one complaint, right? You want to use JDBC, but JDBC has a blocking API, so you can't actually do that in a reactive fashion. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've worked on a new, new API uh, called relational R2DBC, sorry. Uh, you, can, you can check it out at r2dbc.io. And mm-hmm. We've already a, a number of driver implementation for that, which provides a solution. Mm-hmm. But something that's that's quite important to mention is it's not the new way of building web, web applications. It's a new way of building web applications. So we should like not uh, put them as a competitor, right? An application based on Servlet and Tomcat using uh, Spring MVC, it's not going away. Uh, yeah. with, uh, we still want to provide first-class support for that. So yeah. we've been, it's really about use cases. 
Um, exactly. Yeah. If you're interested <laughs> by low latency, if you're interested by if you have a high, super high traffic, or if mm -hmm. you want to scale your application differently, there might be tons of reasons not to switch. There might be reasons to switch. And mm -hmm. the, the bottom line is that, is that Spring uh, got, got you covered in both. Yeah. No, I love that you say, you know, it's all about the use case, which, because, which is indeed it's all about the use case. It's often when someone at the you know, business level is disconnected with the low level technology and they just go with what the influential, you know, organizations are saying, use this, this is the hip thing. I'd be curious, so what, you know, trends at the application development, deployment, the whole cycle, you know, level are you guys seeing? And, and one that I know comes a lot uh, is microservices architecture. And like you said, you know, there are use cases and there's a lot of debate going on. Is microservices the right thing? I'd be curious, what are some trends that you guys are seeing in the you know, architectural level and other stuff? Yeah, so in the, in the past few years, we've been that, that pattern picking up quite uh, rapidly. Uh, that's also where Spring Cloud originates from, uh, yeah. this ability to make sure you can split uh, your domain into separate processes and, and make sure that, that they can communicate in an, in an efficient manner. We've seen more and more the fact that your pieces of, of your application as independent processes has uh, been a consistent pattern, but not, not specifically down to a very small feature, right? You still have a, a bunch of actors that want to split for many reasons, but they don't want to split into two, two small, small units. Slices, so yeah. they, they gather that into a, maybe potentially a bigger uh, process. Mm -hmm. But something like five years ago, where it was still very important to be able to deploy a file into an existing container, we, we can see that fading away, even though there are customers which are not keen to run processes, but they would rather prefer run that in, into the existing infrastructure, we can see that fading away more and more. So it gives more flexibility to how you decide to package your processes and potentially the, the language that you're going to use. Mm -hmm. So we see more and more cutting usage, for instance, in the recent past. With, uh, you know, since you're focusing on API design and backward, uh, so in my last conversation with Leif, who focuses on Vaadin's API design, backward compatibility, I learned, is a huge thing. And, and there is so much responsibility on us as a platform framework vendor, because if, if we do a breaking change, we just break the whole universe, you know, the applications. Mm -hmm. So how do you guys go about, you know, API design and, and ensuring uh, backward compatibility and other requirements? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's totally different depending where you actually change the code. One, for one thing that's, con that's really consistent and I think very important is that we have a very predictive roadmap. Mm -hmm. So we have like versions, feature versions every, every year. It's not as fixed as the JDK is, right? Where the date is already fixed. <laughs> even, though, even though recently uh, Spring Security decided to do that, so Spring yeah. Security, now they have fixed version schedule. Mm -hmm. But what's important is that as a member of the community, you know what's going to happen. So for instance, uh, this year for Spring Boot, mm -hmm. we've switched to a six-month release cadence. So uh, we've just released 2.3 uh, in May. Mm -hmm. And users know that 2.4 is coming up in, in six months' time. Yeah. Then we have a 2.5 and a 2.6 again. Yeah. So 2.6 in one year's time this year. Mm -hmm. And how does the support... Wait, go ahead. Are you going to say something? No, uh, what I meant to say is if, if, you, if you're talking with the core container, it's like we just 
who is super careful about public API. And if you if you something that the user will touch directly, uh, will have a the, the code will be deprecated first with with one feature release where it will stay, and then uh, the, the code will be eventually removed. Mm -hmm. In Spring Boot, we have this opportunity of the auto configuration itself is not public API. Mm -hmm. So basically everything that we do with regards to how how we configure things and the configuration key we react to, the configuration key is public API. Of course, the, the ID of the key is public API. But the code that we, that we write to actually orchestrate the feature mm -hmm. is not. So as a user, you're not supposed to call it. Mm. And that that reduces the surface API of the surface of the public API quite a lot, uh, which gives us the flexibility to adapt things. And in Spring Boot, we have the same system where we deprecate uh, something. And in the case of Spring Boot, we wait two feature release since one feature release is six months, so we wait one year before actually removing that code. Um, and of course, sometimes we made mistakes. Uh, yeah. So once the feature release is out, we get the feedback, hey, you've changed that, it wasn't expected. Uh, usually on, on the point release, we try to restore it. Yeah, yeah. What's the support model like? Like, Is there a LTS support system? Yeah, so uh, Spring Framework is, uh, we are working now on Spring Framework 5.3, which is going to be the LTS for the, the fifth generation, we'll start working on, on Spring Framework 6 soon. And there is a co corresponding LTS for Spring Boot that mm. is against uh, Spring Framework 5.3. The previous LTS was 4.3, which is about to, to be end of life yeah. uh, soonish. But the LTS is around three years. Um, three years. Three years of default. And then each, indi each individual release, we have to maintain it one year after the next feature release out. Mm -hmm. So when 2.2 is out, it's, you still have one year of support of 2.1. Okay. And is there, a, so since you mentioned earlier that Spring is you know, purely open source, is there an a way for enterprises to like pay for extended support? Or? Yeah. So there is a, something called the uh, Spring Runtime, uh, mm -hmm. which gives you support for Java, uh, Tomcat, and the Spring ecosystem at launch. Mm -hmm. So you'll, you'll get also support for things like Micrometer and Reactor, which are low-level pieces in the ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, so here's a little bit of a uh, yeah. uh, transition here, uh, talking about Vardin. So Vardin in Spring Boot is a very solid full-stack application that comes, you know, the setup that comes all the time. Uh, and now we, with Vardin 14, with, with a slight difference, uh, you know, with, we are betting on web components, web standards, and uh, pretty much separating the the client side and the server side, while you can still write your UL logic on the server in Java, and while it takes care of the client server communication, or with Vardin 15 onwards, you can write your UI logic on the client side on TypeScript, and still Vardin Connect will take care of the communication. You don't have to write your own REST services. Having said that, what uh, you know pieces of uh, suggestions you would have for Vardin, knowing that the integration with Spring Boot that we have going on on the on the UI side, what would you do if you if you could do something? So I mean, I've been I've been following what you've been doing uh, since quite some time actually, and something that I find very interesting in in the history of Vadin is how you've been able to reinvent yourself based on changes in the ecosystem. So you started with like a rendering engine you built yourself, and you 
switch to a grid, then you've switched to something else, and but the foundation remained the same. And I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert in the field to have like a piece of advice that's very specific to that, but more generally speaking, I would say the ecosystem is evolving as we've seen, Vadin has been evolving a lot and still users were able to upgrade uh, to those new uh, paradigm. Uh, for most of them, it was pretty much transparent. They were getting new features along the way. They could opt in for new things. So being able to anticipate that, so be, be part of the community, listening to how the ecosystem evolves and being a key player in it is, I think, very important, especially since Vadin, the Vadin team has built a very strong expertise in this area. Yeah. So making sure they can help shape those new systems being part of that is quite key, I think, to make sure that it aligns with Vadin as a project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And it's just uh, the, the fascinating thing that I've seen is the world of the web is evolving so fast. <laughs> you know, and we have things like JavaScript framework of the month and, and just new. And then the new young developers love the bleeding edge stuff. And they sometimes tend to stop think 10 years and how they're piece of code might impact the enterprise system as you know when they leave the company or things break and that's where i love my conversation with architects uh, but uh, yeah being predictable that's uh and communicating with the community that's very important Mm -hmm. for business side well this is wonderful what about do you get visibility on the your customer ecosystem and uh, what sort of categories, buckets of applications, enterprise applications do you see? And the question I'm coming from is my talk with Reza, who is you know, the principal uh, program manager for Java and Azure. And he said, you know, there's lift and shift, the lift and shift, and I forgot what it is. And then there's the cloud native application. What's the breakdown are you guys seeing uh, among your customer base on the application, business applications? It's very hard for me to say as I'm, I'm, I'm really, really more involved in the, the open source space, but we see, we see the same consistent pattern, right? Lots of data access, that's really key. Plenty of web applications, picking up on the cloud infrastructure quite a lot, yes, indeed. But we can see a trend where users will go into more smaller units, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so trying to get away from a super big deployment where you have all your applications yeah. in, in one process. Yep, doing smaller modular architecture. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Stefan. <laughs> this was great. And, and uh, just learning about Spring and what you guys are up to. What are, what are some things that you are excited about personally that's happening in, STEM, you know, in Spring's future? So, I mean, in the, in the recent past, we've moved to, to this new entity with Tenzu, and that brings a new, a new space for us with plenty, plenty of new opportunities uh, to touch developers, to touch more developers, and basically have a consistent infrastructure to, to deploy uh, those, those spring applications. So I'm, I'm very excited with what that collaboration will bring. In the recent past, I mean, I've been involved in, in this, this work with the Wavefront team. It's been uh, super fun mm-hmm. work with them and to see how Spring we can integrate with that platform. Mm-hmm. It's been a fun journey and I'm, I'm sure we have more. And that's a wrap up for this episode. If you're interested to be a guest in the show or you have topics you would like to learn more about related to enterprise application development, Find us at vadin.com slash podcast. 